Hello and welcome once again to Rasslin' Memories on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ. We are available live and in the moment at RadioNorthland.org. And of course, you can find us live on TuneIn as well. We also have a SoundCloud page. Uh, Radio Northland has a SoundCloud page. You can find Rasslin' Memories episodes on over 10 years of this darn show. Hi, I'm Glenn Broggett, along with my co-host, way down there deep in the heart of Texas as we're heading into the month of February. Uh, let me tell you something, Mike. It has been an odd, odd thing up here in minnesota we had a couple of weeks of cold stuff but for the most part it's been rather rather mild winter and with that i welcome the grizzle vet mike mccurdy mike how are you doing down there in texas these days my friend doing good man uh, we, we thought out from our ice storm in case anybody knew saw that you know texas froze again uh we thought out from that like just a couple days after we had you know frozen ground and snow and sleet and everything else it was 71 degrees so you know bipolar texas weather but you know everything's thawed out everything's warm up again so we're good Oh, that's great to hear. And uh, yeah, I, I'm getting ready uh, a couple of weeks now. I'm going to be heading down uh, to Arizona, going to the uh, Innings Festival. So, I mean, the countdown is getting closer around this time. Uh, this airs, I, I should be just merely a few days away from flying out. So uh, if, if Mother Nature can be good to us here and keep giving us these 20, 30 degree days up here in Minnesota, it doesn't have a minus in front of it. I'm going to be fine with that. And uh, yeah. That's going to be uh, some good times. I mean, it's going to be a great lineup down there. I mean, there's a lot of really cool acts. Anyone from, uh, you know, the Black Crows, Green Day, Weezer, Eddie Vedder, you know, uh, Marcus Mumford, uh, and and, and some ex-baseball players putting a band uh, together and some ball players there. It's kind of a perfect way to kick off uh, spring training. So uh, check out a few games down there in the Cactus League. So, I mean, it's going to be a good time to get away from Minnesota and just a good time to just, you know, be lazy and watch baseball and, and hear music. And it's probably going to be hot. I hate Arizona. Travel <laughs> through there, coming out here to Texas, man. And when it's 110 degrees at 2 o'clock in the morning and it never cools down, that's just, that's wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, Mike, uh, let's uh, forget about the weather. Uh, boy, at the time of this recording, it seems like, it, you know, it, it's really, I don't even want to, uh, you know, go online because it's been finding out about uh, this wrestler dying, this wrestler passing away. And as of our recording, we're only just a few days removed from uh, the news of uh, the passing of a wrestling memory, uh, wrestling memory's favorite and a friend of mine, Charlie Norris, the Thunderblood. And, uh, yeah, it just, he's a great guy. It was just sad to see him uh, pass on because, uh, you know, we, we chatted for a while and, and that just added already because we were already mourning the loss of, of, of Kenny J and, and, and Mike there, Lanny Poffo passing away. I mean, Mike, this is, and Jay Briscoe. I mean, it just seems like just been a sad, sad few uh, weeks here uh, if you're a fan of pro wrestling present and past. It has been a very sad week. And, you know, the passing, you said the passing of Jay Briscoe, that was just tragic nobody was expecting that and Lanny Poffo I guess everybody was saying that this man was in perfect health and you see him posting photos of himself outside the theater at Wicked on Tuesday night and Wednesday morning you know you're hearing news that he passed away so it just it goes to show you man it's quick and you know and yes Charlie Norris I never got to participate in any of the uh, Charlie Norris interviews but you know I listened to him I, I connected with Charlie on Facebook we talked a couple times and of course I watched a lot of his stuff you know when he, you know WCW and everything so mm-hmm. and of course you know the sodbuster Kenny J I'm sure in Minnesota you know flags were probably at half mast and there were thousands of people lined up outside the the, the memorial service and everything because you know Kenny J man that, that was a god in Minnesota mm-hmm. 
I think uh, they uh, had the the flags at all uh, drinking establishments flying at half mass because Kenny, oh, okay. liked, Kenny liked this beer. Uh, but anyway, let's get away from all of that business. Let's talk now about wrestling memories. And you have lined up a dandy of a guest who we've had a few different occasions just due to some audio technical difficulties. We've had him at the pay window, but all of a sudden the pay window shut down. We've never been able to get this man all the way on this show. So, Mike, give him the intro so we can get wheeling on this, man. Time is on our side. There we go. We got, we got connection. We got audio. We got he, he can hear us. We're all good. Third time is the charm. That's right, folks. Third time. This is the third time we've uh, been in the studio with this guest to get him on here tonight. Talk about you know his career in world class championship wrestling. Did a little work there in WCW. Worked with Ring of Honor. Man's done a little bit of everything. I had the honor to be at the Southern Wrestling Hall of Fame last year during WrestleMania weekend to watch his induction where he came out with a main event entrance including theme music title belt and security so we're going to talk about that a little bit so let's bring on our guest this week Mr. Dan Bynum Dan welcome to the show it's an honor to be with y'all yes it's good to have you Dan and we can hear you yeah 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 (laughs) well don't queer the deal. Well, let's get through the whole thing first. <laughs> see, see, Dan, I had to look over to my left at the monitor to make sure I hit the record button because, yeah, we'd have probably have the scenario would have been like we had this great conversation. We all got connected, and then there's the button that doesn't seem to be pushed. So, good God, it's good to have you on the program, my friend. Yes, finally, and uh, uh, it's just good to be uh, able to be heard. It's a beautiful day in Colorado, and uh, life is good. I got to ask, how, how's the winter been uh, out there uh, for you guys? Like I mentioned, we've had kind of, uh, I don't know, it hasn't been like an extremely cold winter up here. We've had a little taste of it, but how, how, how's the snowfall and how's everything been out there in Colorado? I mean, you're a snowboarder, so things must be, uh, must be on the up and up. Yeah, it's been a fantastic uh, snow year up in the mountains, so snowboarding's been fantastic. And then down here in Denver, it's been much more uh, precipitous, so we've had more snow, and oddly, it's stayed colder more, uh, more regularly, so that we have had some old snow get new snow on it, which is generally not what happens here, so... It's been uh, a lot of precipitation. We need it badly, and uh, that's been good. But the snowboarding is epic. Oh, oh, I bet, I bet. Uh, Mike, sorry to jump in on that. I know you have uh, many questions to be in this first segment. I just had to get in a little winter talk with Dan because yeah. Colorado, the connection, the board, and all that stuff. Glenn Braga likes to keep track of the weather, folks. It's his, sec- it's his uh, hobby at home. <laughs> oh, my God, please. <laughs> So, Dan, uh, I mentioned, you know, you and I got to be there at the uh, Southern Wrestling Hall of Fame induction last uh, year during WrestleMania weekend. You were inducted in there. You were the main event induction, like I said, complete with entrance, security, title belt, everything. Um, How was that for you, looking back on your career and what you've done in wrestling and all that, to be, you know, honored with an induction like that? Well, it was fantastic. I love uh, love the uh, IWH. P or, or uh, IHWE uh, and David is a wonderful guy. It's great indie wrestling. Indie wrestling is where the energy is, and so uh, being honored by the Southern Wrestling Hall of Fame was huge for me. It was a great experience because I I got to 
let people know. So we had a lot of people that were influential in the WCCW days were able to be there, and I got to uh, shout out their names and have them stand up and and uh, get recognized. Uh, most most notably, it was good to see Victor Sosa. Vic Sosa was one of the two. Uh, cameramen that were uh, ringside that uh, he and Oz Coleman who wanted to be there but Oz is still a uh, in-demand cameraman and was doing uh, something for the NBA I believe oh or the there was some basketball uh, college basketball tournament uh, in New York so he couldn't be there at that time but uh, Vic Sosa was there uh, and it was it was fun uh, to uh, to make a big deal out of it. Uh, we played the the open for uh, WCCW and that iconic music that uh, I picked out of a uh, production uh, uh, music library that we had at Channel Thirty Nine in Dallas and. Uh, I was looking for something like Rimsky-Korsakov's Procession of Nobles, and uh, I think I found the perfect uh, uh, song with the timpanis and everything, and it's it's become, I'm, I'm going to have to sue Stephen P. New on uh, Jim Cornette's show for desecrating it as his commercial background music. I'll have to get him to sue himself to cease and desist on that because that hacks me off every time I hear that commercial. But uh, uh, no, the, the, the Hall of Fame induction was very special. Uh, and I, uh, my three brothers were there, which is rare for all four of us to be there. And like I said, I had a lot of people from the... Uh, WCCW days and from the Bad Street USA uh, production crew, so it was a it was a wonderful homecoming for me and uh, God bless those guys for doing that. You even got escorted out by head of security, Mr. Bill Coffel. I did. I I, ne I needed to. Black. He was the original man in the black hat. So that was uh, a huge honor that he came out to do that for me and was incredibly fun uh, to have him there. And uh, yeah, that was just part of uh, making it so special. And, and yeah, they had to have me on last because nobody could follow what I, all of my production, you know, as a producer, I had to produce my gimmick and, uh, I had my brothers running the uh, audiovisual, and uh, uh, we we pretty much got it together, and and we were able to play uh, the Bad Street USA uh, director's cut of the video, and the the event was held at uh, a movie theater there, so the movie theater pulled down the uh, the screen in the back and uh, we were able to project Bad Street USA on a full movie screen so the impact was incredible and uh, it was it was one of it was probably the best presentation live at an event that Bad Street USA has ever had even even better than the uh, 
the premiere that we had the day of the the Texas Stadium show uh, at a, a bar in North Dallas, but this was a better uh, video view of it. And then uh, we played the we started playing the credits at the end, and uh, you know the the show was really long. Uh, they were late getting it going, et cetera, et cetera. So I. I uh, producerially uh, and and in my gimmick as a heel director, I cut the uh, the the credits in the middle, and I said, uh, you know, I've been I've been talking about how great everybody was and how important everybody was uh, to me to be in this station, but y'all remember. I was the one that had to sweat and bleed and pay the price of a wrestling TV lifetime. So whether you like me or you don't like me, learn to love me because I'm the best thing going in wrestling TV. Thank you, Ric Flair. That was how I closed it out. And uh, it was very fun and very special. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, you know, kind of fill in our, the listeners and a little bit on your backstory. You know, how did you get involved in uh, wrestling and TV production? Because, like I said, world-class championship wrestling, obviously part of their TV show. You were a major part of the Parade of Champions event where Kerry won the uh, Yeah, I directed the, the TV. Yeah, I was, I was directing the TV, and I got into TV uh, because uh, when I was in college, I was studying to be a uh, psychologist and decided I could have a bigger impact uh, as a TV director. And so uh, the University of Texas had a fantastic uh, communications department. Uh, we were able to, uh, I, was, I had a radio, television, and film degree. Uh, we were working in the PBS station right there in the uh, just two floors down from the studio where Austin City Limits was being produced. So we we got a very good professional education. So uh, I, I started out at Channel 39. I had been uh, doing TV, uh, industrial TV at Texas Instruments first. I uh, worked in the media center. They were one of the first big uh, industrial uh, corporate media centers ever. So that was a lot of fun, but I, I knew I wanted to be in broadcasting and I just walked into channel 39 with my resume and luckily the, the, uh, grandmotherly, very smart, very tough, uh, gray haired lady that was the general manager was standing in the lobby when I walked in and I got to speak to her directly and we, we stuck it off very well. And, so she hired me, and I, I began just as one of the the uh, production technicians in the studio and uh, and on the truck when we would go out on the truck. We had a we had a production truck. This was a uh, double day uh, company TV station that Double Day wanted to get out of the uh, TV business, so they donated the station to uh, Pat Robertson and uh, the Christian Broadcast Network. So it was actually a, a, a CBN uh, affiliate there in Dallas. And one of, the one of the 
pieces of the deal was a production truck that Doubleday had. And so uh, we, my first job actually uh, on the truck was as the camera assistant for the cameraman. We were working for ESPN and we were shooting the Mesquite Rodeo. And so my cameraman was the guy behind the shoots that was getting the shot over into the bull shoots and the, the uh, Broncos as the guys were getting on before they'd open the gate and let them out. And so my first job in, uh, in broadcast production was literally hauling camera cable through fresh manure. And uh, so... Uh, and the irony of that is that cameraman was Keith Mitchell, who went on to become the producer of WCCW. And by the time we got that show, I had worked my way up through the truck. I, w I became an audio man, then I became a technical director, and then I was actually directing right at the time that uh, uh, Mickey Grant had the idea of producing a syndicated show for Fritz von Erich. He was friends, he had worked on in radio with uh, Bill Mercer and Bill, he knew Bill Mercer was into the, the wrestling with Fritz and them. Uh, so they worked together and showed how we could actually make money on a syndicated show and uh, so we began producing uh, world-class championship wrestling in the Sportatorium. And uh, so as we had been working on this truck in the years previous, every weekend we'd go out and shoot football, basketball, baseball, whatever it was. So we had a crew that was incredibly capable of covering any sport very professionally, uh, great audio men, incredible cameramen, uh, people in the, in the tape room doing slow-mos. We were very good at any sport. And so when we went into the sportatorium, uh, we weren't really thinking about the fact that the production values for professional wrestling back then were uh, limited, say the least. Usually it was just two cameras, uh, a wide shot and a tighter shot, and sometimes, you know, in a studio even. Uh, so uh, when we went into the Sportatorium and... Uh, we just covered it like a sport. So, and, and to, to back up a little bit as far as how I got into wrestling, well, as a kid, I was more a roller derby kid. So that was what I liked, and I didn't really watch wrestling as a kid, so I, I came at it with a fresh outlook, and, and when I first went to the Sportatorium to see an event and to uh, do a site survey and figure out where we were going to put the cameras, all that stuff. When I got there, the place was full to the roof. There are 2,500 people in there. 
And if it was in the summer, it was hot as hell. And if it was in the winter, it was cold. But they were there and they were able, this was the kayfabe era. So everybody in there was able to completely suspend their disbelief and completely participate in, in the event as true believers. And that's, that, and that made all the difference, you know. And when I saw that, I, I could see uh, what an incredible subculture this was, how incredible the relationship between the wrestlers and the fans was, how uh, powerful kayfabe was in the overall impact of the event. So when we went in there, I... I was determined to cover it like a real sport in kayfabe and put it over as hard as I could. And we were in the perfect position to do that because we were in world-class championship wrestling. That was maybe the stiffest promotion at the time or ever. I don't know. It was incredible because... They worked so stiff, all you had to do was point the camera at them and actually cover them. And so what we did, we went in there, we had ringside cameras with, that were able to, and these guys had balls of steel, man. They would get up on the lip of the ring with one hand on the top rope and they would shoot over in there while all that mayhem was going on and get shots like, that had never been seen before. Uh, and those type of, uh, of close-ups that we were getting, and even when they were down on the floor shooting through the ropes, it was still something that people didn't really get before, and certainly not with the level of coverage that we had, because we, we had two hard cams, a wide and a tight, up, uh, uh, centered, and then we had the two handheld cameras and then we had a wide uh, beauty cam to get the full uh, uh, big picture so uh, it was it was coverage that nobody else was really doing it was in a uh, just the mecca of professional wrestling and it was at a point in time in the promotion that it was the hottest thing in the world and you reference the Christmas show and the slamming of the cage door when that cage door slammed everything changed and everything became so over it was unbelievable when the Freebirds turned and the whole Freebird Von Erich uh, feud was the greatest feud in the history of wrestling uh, before or since in my humble, not so humble opinion. So, uh, and, and right in the middle of all of that, it was the beginning of MTV, music videos were the hottest thing going. So, uh, and we were, we were also at the forefront of using music because back then uh, the music licensing was, was much easier. 
uh, I, I just used the TV stations uh, licensing because we were producing it uh, under their auspices. So I would report the songs that we used, but we would, you know, we used Bang Your Head for uh, The Missing Link. And, uh, uh, and, and the boys were using uh, great uh, rock music at the time, but uh, there was a, a genius guy in Dallas uh, that was a friend of Michael's and was a uh, son of a legendary uh, jazz drummer and uh, music and event booker out of Dallas and L.A. Uh, his name was Jimmy Papa, and he, he's a drummer. he was a drummer, but he also wrote and produced music. And so he came up with the idea uh, with Michael Hayes of the uh, custom entrance music. And so that is how uh, Bad Street USA, the song, was born. And uh, it, became, it was huge as their entrance music. So it was obvious uh, to us producing the TV show that there needed to be a music video. Uh, and so, uh, an outside guy, uh, or a friend, uh, Adrian Cumming, uh, put together a, uh, a, a package, a production fund, uh, where we were able to shoot on uh, 16 millimeter film, uh, in the studios at Las Colinas and on the, uh, uh, the site in North Dallas of a uh, ethnic neighborhood was that was uh, slated to be demolished, so that became Bad Street USA, and uh, it was uh, an incredible uh, piece of work. Fantastic editing by a man named Norman Jones. Uh, Gilles Chevalier was our incredible uh, director of, uh, of photography. And I, I directed it, and, uh, uh, and, and that then put the Freebirds over big time. It, it won the, the Texas uh, Music Video of the Year Award for Buddy Magazine in 1985. And uh, uh, so WCW was uh, an incredible thing. And, and that's, uh, upon that, I built the rest of my uh career of course that's why uh i mean uh, uh ted had already hired keith mitchell uh to be to come in and be the uh production manager for wcw in atlanta and so keith was uh so wonderful to me to bring me along with him so i was able to uh to do six great years there and uh as you said later, uh, Jim Cornette and Gary Jester called me up with the idea of Ring of Honor, and I'd been out of the business for many years at that point, but was thrilled and excited to work with those guys. And so uh, uh, creating the production company uh, for Sinclair Broadcast and with, with Jim Cornette creating the episodic show and then... Uh, uh, Doing, I produced that show for three years. They wanted me to move to Baltimore. I, I was going to Baltimore uh, seven to ten days a month for three years, but
but I didn't want to actually move there because I live in God's country in uh, Denver and there's no snowboarding in Maryland that I know of. But anyway, uh, I don't know what the original question was, but wow. <laughs> I have that to ask, though, I mean, in Baltimore, in Baltimore, uh, you, you mean, you went there so many times. I hope it wasn't because you, you got mercury poisoning from uh, Jimmy's Famous Seafood. No, no, I'm a vegetarian, so I uh, I was able to avoid that. But okay, uh, okay. I, sure. I, I love visiting Baltimore, but I always, I love it because I have a ticket home. So true. <laughs> the best part of visiting when you get to leave. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Talking about, you know, you were you're going through your world class career and you mentioned, you know, Bad Street USA, obviously. To this day, people still know Bad Street USA. We've all seen the video. My son, who's eleven, he loves it. Well, it's iconic and uh, amazingly it, it it stood the test of time. So I think that's a uh that's a uh credit to the production crew. We had a very professional production crew. It was shot super well the the video looked good uh with the kind of things we were going for so uh yeah and i'm i'm super proud of it today you know that's like a perfect time capsule for for what just what world class just how hot world class was at the time so if you wanted some a reference point like if somebody wasn't really a full-on wrestling fan I'm like oh i've heard about this uh, von eric because you know, when the big movie comes out people are going to be probably more curious about the von eric family and you could you could direct uh, non you know pro wrestling fans over to uh, certain moments that were, were definitely uh, the, the ultimate highlight and you know i would uh, direct them to that video because man it was uh, Michael Hayes, the Von Erichs, Freebirds, all in all their glory, they were all relatively young, with the exception of Buddy Jack, who was about 85 years old. But the rest of the guys were young. That energy was so great. I mean, you watch that the Legends of World Class Wrestling. You watch the World Class shows from the 80s. That hot box that was the Sportatorium. I mean, how you guys camera shot it. I mean, the miking. Everything had this energy to it that you. I mean, a guy sitting up in northern Minnesota would just wanted to be a part of that. Now we can only go back to the time machine on peacock but it was just such a right place right time and it didn't last long but boy when it did it really burned bright it did and and you're talking about being over and just wrestling fans well there were a hell of a lot more wrestling fans back then than there are now and that's that's the problem with the business now is the the total uh wrestling audience has has diminished down to maybe 25 percent of what it was previously so it just shows you there's a a whole reservoir of people who are looking for something more resembling what we were doing at world-class championship wrestling than the trampoline shows that we get now so uh, but but as far as that goes, as far as being over, you, nobody can understand now what over really is, because back then the Von Erichs were so over they were as big as the Dallas Cowboys. That's how over they were because the the business was kayfabe people really believed this they were able to believe this stuff you know and and so it was real it was super real it looks real to me is is always my uh answer to people is wrestling real well it looks real to me and if it does look real 
to you, then that's the real wrestling. And I don't say, I don't think we're seeing the real wrestling anymore uh, with what we've got now. Mm-hmm. You I'm know, just those, saying. In those days, too, you know, with kayfabe being so hot, what can you recall of, like, as far as, like, fan interaction with the wrestlers, just how hot it could get? What type of things did you see uh, covering, uh, you know, taping those shows, recording those shows, that they were uh, it would never never fly in these days as far as uh, just how into it the fans were and just the levels that they would go. Well, that's where that's where I had to have uh, the guys in the black hats because for the baby for the Von Erichs they had to fight the girls off. The girls would tear their ring robes off of them. They would tear hair out of their heads for souvenirs. They were so into them and. And, you know, and so the ring rat situation back then was completely out of control. Oh, man. It was just so different because the energy was so different. And, And guys were committed to it. The boys were committed to it. I mean, you were who you were all the time. Uh, baby faces and heels entered the building on different sides of the building and were never seen together ever. They never broke kayfabe. And that's the, that's the only way for it to ever happen again. And I don't know if it can, but uh, I'd love to do it myself. Mm-hmm. Hey, Mike, you know, when you talk about Von Erich's passion, I mean, you had a chance to interview Lance Von Erich for the show, and he kind of gave you an insight just to how passionate they are uh, when they welcomed him and kind of unwelcomed him. So <laughs> you definitely know him just from the, the, the notes you've taken, Mike. Oh, yeah, I got to do that interview with Lance when uh, his book came out. I've also interviewed Kevin on, like, three different occasions. And living here in Fort Worth, I can totally, you know, vouch for what Dan said, a week, I can't go only a couple days. Somebody finds out what I do in the business, how I do interviews, things like that. Oh, I used to watch the Sportatorium and the Von Erichs and Chris Adams and the Freebirds, and I'll end up in an hour-long conversation. I love it. I'll sit there and talk with them. You know, I mean, people today are, are still devoted to uh, the wrestling, and, you know, it was real back then, and, you know, men were men, and it was real fight. It wasn't like it is now, and, you know, you mentioned the fans and getting involved in it. In my opinion, one of the greatest clips of fan interaction is in the opening of the Legends of World Class from ESPN is the guy that decides he's going to get up in Terry Gordy's face and Terry Gordy pushes him back into the third row. The man does not lose a cigarette. It's still in his mouth. I know. But that's that's, a, that's in Bad Street USA. And that's in the video. Yeah, that, that too. So, <laughs> I mean, fan devotion out here is still high for the Von Erich. You can't talk. You don't talk about it. About Absolutely. So that's why I feel like there is a, a huge audience that would love to see the real wrestling. And so uh, I'm just saying, I'm just one guy right now, but I would like to put together the real wrestling again. And so uh, we'll see. But, uh, but you know, it's kind of, it's disappointing right now what's going on. Uh, when I was at Ring of Honor, though, uh, there was a, there were outbreaks of the real wrestling there all the time. So uh, it was it was so refreshing, so uh, uh, invigorating to work with that locker room, uh, 
and uh, it was except well, world class, of course, it cannot be be uh, duplicated, but it was the best of everything else that I, I've done as far as the wrestling part of it. I mean, it was it was a uh, slog through uh, mud f to get the productions done uh, with the budgets we had, but uh, we got them up there and and I uh, went through. TV wars with some incredible people at that company, and so uh, some of the best friends I've ever had uh, came out of that, including uh, a man that, uh, and I know we we were talking about all the losses. Uh, uh, I'm suffering for uh, Burt Bacharach now, who is one of my heroes. But but we, uh, you mentioned in the beginning, uh, the crushing heartbreaking, unfair loss of, uh, of uh, Jamin Pugh, uh, who I knew as Jay Briscoe, and uh, just want to say a little bit about uh, him and how special it was, because those guys, oh sorry, I just pulled my ears out, those guys, uh, are the soul of Ring of Honor. The Briscoe brothers were everything that was great about Ring of Honor. They were uh, over-the-top, incredible technical wrestlers. They were they were who they were. Uh, it's a shoot with them. They are Jay and Mark. They do. They did grow up on a chicken farm. They are the way they present. And uh, they are two of the finest uh, uh, men and workers I've ever been privileged to uh, work with in the business. And, and the brothers are funny. Uh, Mark is the, seen as the, the, uh, the wacky one or, or whatever, but he is a, uh, almost a genius intelligence and uh whoops my wife's calling me sorry uh he's he's almost a genius intelligence and an, an incredible man and jay was one of the finest human beings i've ever known he was uh just such a honor to work with and a a joy to work with as far as uh producing the tv but interacting with them personally uh, I knew how incredible they were. The, the family uh, part of their life is so important and so rich. And, uh, and Jay was an unbelievable father to his daughters. He, you know, the, the iconic video that I love to see is, is him and his daughter. And he's got a, a bow in, in his hair. And he is standing by her, and they're going through the daughter's cheerleading routine, practicing it, and he's doing every move and and uh, and and acting out like a, a little girl. And only a real man would be able to do that for his daughter so uh, with such integrity. And you know that just says everything about Jay. And uh, to lose him like that. 
in the prime of his career when they were just about to be on top of a major national company again. Uh, it's just tragedy beyond belief. And so uh, I really, I'm supporting Mark. I hope that he'll be able to continue the work. And, but thankfully they have a really strong family uh, uh, situation up there in Delaware. So the girls and, and uh, Jay's wife are going to be uh, folded into the, the protection of the family. And, uh, but man, what a horrible loss. Uh, Jay was one of my best friends. Jay and Mark, both of them were my some of my best friends at Ring of Honor. Uh, and I, I loved working with them because they're incredible people. One of the things I heard, uh, Chris Jericho did a podcast where he talked to a bunch of the guys at AEW about Jay. And I, I, uh, I want to say it might have been Hangman Page who made the comment. He said that, you know, when Jay and Mark would show up and, you know, how you doing? They were everybody's, you know, want to talk to everybody and how everybody's doing, how the kids are doing. They were just friendly. But then when that, that music hit and they came to the ring or they had to do the promo, that it was a totally different person. Jay backstage was not Jay. Jay Briscoe backstage was not Jay Briscoe on camera. Once the music hit, once the, the green light came on to, to work, it was a totally different character. Uh, being that, you know, you were such close friends with him, is that something that, you know, you saw as well that, you know, once it was time to go, he was ready to go? Of course. I mean, kayfabe. But, uh, yeah, they were, they fully engaged their characters. They became those guys. And a lot of it was who they really were, but just amplified to the highest level. And so the intensity that they were able to bring and the intensity in their work. I mean, all of their work and technically so fantastic, but they added more to it. They, it, their, their stuff went to 11 and, uh, and yeah, when it came time to work, they were the best workers in the locker room, period. Looking back of your career, I was bringing this up earlier. Uh, you know, world-class WCW. You were involved in a lot of, like, major moments. Just in world-class, you know, the cage door heard around the world. Uh, I promoted a show where we told the guys, okay, we're going to do the, the Flair Von Eric finish, and they knew exactly what we were talking about because, you know, May 6, 84. Right. Uh, Bad Street, USA. How does it feel now, looking back, that – you know, not only were these iconic moments that you were a part of, but these are moments that people are now still looking at and studying and watching, you know, I mean, and these happened, you know, 30-something, 40 years ago. Right. And we, at the time, we knew we were hot. We knew working with Ric Flair, we were making history. It's just the team was so good, and we were so committed to getting every bit of intensity out of those matches and i was i had such wonderful camera guys that were always right where they needed to be and so i was mainly just calling cameras you know and putting them in the right order because those guys uh didn't need direction for the most part unless we were warning them about something so uh looking back I got Peacock so I could look at that stuff again and, and 
you know, some of it's a little slow in the directing, but once I got going, man, uh, that was incredible work. And, and of course you were, you were covering history. So, and we felt it at the time, especially in, in Texas stadium. Uh, and so that whole show is, is very inspired, uh, as far as the production side of it was. So, Looking back on it, I'm incredibly proud now, and uh, uh, I, I soured on wrestling a little bit after WCW, uh, but coming back to Ring of Honor made me understand how much I loved it, and, uh, and I'm coming to embrace my uh, legacy now uh, more, more fully. And I am able to be incredibly proud of, of being in the right place at the right time, both in uh, Dallas and in Atlanta and in Baltimore. So, and even in uh, Florida with MLW, that was fun too. Uh, so, and there may be something coming, we'll see. But uh, uh, I'm incredibly proud of everything that I've done. And it's incredibly fun to, to have people appreciate it. Uh, that makes it worth it. That's why we did it. And it just warms my heart as a relatively old man, but in pretty good shape. Because uh, I hear those stories too. And, and it's the greatest thing ever to hear people say that they watch that stuff with their grandpa or whatever, and they have all these fond memories of it and that, uh, and that's forever etched in their hearts and it, it helped make their lives better. And, and that's why we did it. And it is thrilling to know that. Now, uh, speaking of Jay Briscoe here again, real quick. Um, did you get a chance to see any of the uh, the trilogy they did with FTR last year? Oh yeah, of course, of course I did. And it was, and there you go. It was the technically those were match of the years. Uh, you know, they were fantastic, and and the the way the the FTR has been mis mishandled is is criminal, but. Uh, uh, that was I was kind of looking forward to more of that now that the Briscoes were uh, being uh, moved into Ring of Honor. The whole issue of the 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 uh, supposedly anti-gay tweet, Mark educated himself, he apologized, he worked tirelessly uh, in inclusivity. And he was a really good guy. He's, he was not a bigoted guy, no matter what his character may look and sound like. But uh, he was a wonderful guy. And them being held out of, uh, of uh, Warner Brothers TV was, was criminal. And, and it, especially now that we've lost him, all that could have gone on there is just, it's heartbreaking to have lost that. We lost Jay, but thanks to, you know, I guess some behind-the-scenes work with Tony Khan, Mark is getting his chance to now be part of AEW. In fact, at the time of this recording, he's going to be on Rampage tonight to uh, kind of just discuss things and where he's going. So I'm kind of... I'll, be, I'll be there to watch. Mark. 
All right, looks like uh, we're going to be wrapping up on this week's edition of Rasslin' Memories. And a big, big thank you to our uh, our special guest. And it, I guess it was the, uh, the the fifth time's the charm or whatever that saying is. Uh, it was nice to have Dan Bynum on. And uh, for Dan Bynum and the Grizzle Vet Mike McCurdy, I'm Glenn Broggett. So long for now and thanks for listening.